Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What a Tuesday night. I will say that Tuesday night basketball being prominent in Mississippi has completely thrown me off. It's felt like Thursday all day because it felt like that should have been a Wednesday night and we're only a couple of days from the weekend. But if that's what we've got to deal with to get the kind of basketball, the kind of entertainment that we had on Tuesday night, whoa. Good Wednesday afternoon and welcome to Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. And Super Talk TV, thanks for joining us in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, home of the sportsbook, the Golden Moon Casino. Did you uh, take advantage of the fishy line of the week? You could have done that last night at the uh, sportsbook at the Golden Moon Casino. Of course, the fishy line of the week is brought to you by PTG Outdoors. Talked about that Tennessee-South Carolina game yesterday. That could have been a nice little deposit into the account. Uh, anyway. The uh, sports book at the Golden Moon Casino, part of Pearl River Resort. Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from Ceasefire Business. Backed by world-class IT professionals who live where you do. That's right here in Ceasefire country. 601-879-4395. We'll talk about last night's basketball game in Oxford between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. An instant classic, a thriller, one that will go down in the record books. All of those things, there is a lot to digest from that ball game last night. But we've talked so much this year, and Michael Borky gets credit for this. He's been talking about meaningful basketball in Mississippi. And I think leading into the game yesterday, we thought we had a chance for a very meaningful basketball game last night. We tried to cover it in that way, and we got a whale of a basketball game last night. And look, I, I, I'm for Ole Miss. Hey, Dad's from Mississippi State. You have your allegiances one way or the other. It's really easy to say after the fact, well, regardless of the outcome, it was a great game. But I genuinely think that that was a great basketball game last night, regardless of the outcome. Incredible National basketball people noticed and talked about how great the game was. Yeah, yeah, you had Jay Billis jumping on Twitter talking about it. There are a lot of people all over the place that uh, that talked about it. Um, hey, Dad, you were in the arena last night, Borky. I know you watched every dribble last night. It was it was 
We thought electric, and it was that and then some in terms of the environment for that game. That was all right. <laughs> the, the shot making was especially. It, it could have been better. Uh, the, the shot making was especially really good. Uh, I mean, there, there's close basketball they were games. That haymakers, Michael. Punch, counter punch, punch, counter punch, punch, counter punch. Uh, I mean, it was that that because it, close games don't always equal fun games to watch, right? If you've got a ten to seven game in football. That game stinks out loud. It might be close, and it could come down to the wire, but, I mean, nobody likes watching Iowa football, right? Yeah. We had a close game where teams executed offense, and shot-making is a word that that I'm going to keep using today because that's what it was. It wasn't just guys making wide-open looks, and they they got hot tonight because it was just their lucky day. No, good players made spectacular plays – Almost every possession, it felt like. And I thought almost every single player in that game kind of rose to the occasion of the moment. There were a couple of there were a couple of guys that maybe didn't play their best um, last night uh, on both sides, but you had stars that made big plays. Uh, there were people that, as is always going to be the case, some that complained a little bit about the officiating. I thought for his physical a basketball game as it was, that it did not turn into a ref show. I mean, questionable calls, but you're going to have questionable calls. In a game a little like that. touchy with, with Tolu and Cissé. I, I thought that they could have let a couple of those whistles go on those two guys. But, you know, it's but officiating in college did, basketball. It, 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 changed, it changed strategy mm-hmm. in, in the game, especially for Ole Miss with the way they defended um, Tolu Smith throughout the course of the game because they didn't have the opportunity to have their bigs just out there one-on-one. And and frankly, it may have worked to the detriment of Mississippi State to some degree that Ole Miss had foul trouble with its bigs. And Tolu Smith had some foul trouble himself at, at times, but largely was able to stay on the floor. But Ole Miss kind of had to change the way they defended Smith with help and kind of trapping every time he touched the ball that he didn't get many one-on-one opportunities. And, and when he did have opportunities, he turned the ball over. He just didn't play his best game. Chris Chance told us after the game that he wasn't feeling well, and I understand that. But that's two games in a row where Tolu has not played his best basketball. State was, was good enough to win uh, both times, I thought. But you know the stat of the game is the turnovers. Mississippi State with 15 turnovers turns into 18 Ole Miss points, you know. I always like to play, look at the box score and tell you how, tell you how it lies to you. If you had told me yesterday State was going to shoot 54% and out-rebound Ole Miss by 13, I would have been like, boy, State won this game easily. And, and shoot 70% from the free throw line. Yeah, and they did, but missed the, the important ones there at the end. And I'll tell you the other one. If you told me Deshaun Davis was going to have 15 points, I really would have thought State, State might have scored 100 if, I, if you had told me that. Um State played good enough to win, except for the fact that they turned the ball over 15 times. And it's just that simple. And Ole Miss, give them credit, took full advantage of every miscue State made and then made some incredible shots. Um, My favorite sequence of the game is towards the end where Murray hits the three to put Ole Miss up five. And I am literally typing out that feels like a dagger when Deshaun Davis comes down and hits a three on the other end 
to put State back within two. And I was like, all right, maybe we are going to play for a few more minutes and, here. And, hey, Dad, help me with that sequence. It, it was it was a it was a possession that for Mississippi State at first looked a little disjointed. Yeah. And then they kicked it out, and Davis – I can't remember if it was a an offensive rebound and a kick out or just – a well-defended sequence, and then Mississippi State found the open man, and it was Davis, and he hit the three from the wing. I think that's it, yeah. And just the the, the last seven minutes of that game, both teams were just they were just trading haymakers the whole time. It was big shot after big shot. State you know, was down 10 at one point. They claw all the way back. I think they got within one at one point, maybe two at the, at the, at the worst. And they were down 11. They, could just they, never, they were down 11 in the second. Yeah, yeah. And could just never get over the hump there. Um and then, you know, obviously from the Mississippi State perspective, everybody's talking about the final play, the decision to give the ball to Cam Matthews and not let Josh Hubbard take the final shot. Uh, I talked about it in depth on the podcast. At the end of the day, Chris Jans drew up a play that got a layup attempt mm-hmm. right at the rim, and, and that's on Cam Matthews to make that shot. I mean, the coach's job is to draw up the play to give you the chance to hit the shot. It's your job to hit the shot. So Cam Matthews, who did a lot of great things for State last night, 16 points, 14 rebounds. He was, was another another great game for him. But when the moment came, he he was he didn't do enough. Uh, but you can't put that on Jans, in my opinion. People are going to complain and say, oh, Hubbard should get that shot. If Hubbard had gotten that ball, literally, I think Morgan Freeman might have come off the, uh, the, the, the sidelines there to defend him. The, the entire <laughs> stadium would have come down there to hit him. And... Uh, I thought, I mean, you can't do it. You can't ask for anything more than a layup attempt to tie the game. You could possibly get fouled, which he did. If the shot goes in, he's going to shoot an and one to give State the lead. That that's that's a good setup by Jans. It just didn't work. Longtime friend of the show, longtime friend of the show. I, I was texting with earlier today, and I said, "How good was that last night?" And he said, "Both teams scoring over eighty was something a year ago I would have bet could not occur." The two shortest guys on the court were amazing. There is no better sporting event than a great college basketball rivalry game other than the Masters. Okay. And and we love our sporting events, right? We love we love our college football, we love our college baseball, but the intensity from an hour and a half before that game started I, I, I got to go with my family last night. We walked into the building right before they killed the lights for the starting lineups. And I looked at Jane. I was like, ooh, this feels different. I mean, it, it had there was that kind of buzz in the building. There was that kind of energy in the build, building. And you, you talk about punch, counterpunch. There were a couple of times in the first half where Mississippi State was one made shot away from turning it into a double-digit game. You know, they got it to seven might have gotten it to eight at one point, and then Ole Miss would make a shot. And Ole Miss would come up with a defensive play and got it back down to four. And then for the second game in a row, Ole Miss hits a three as time expires at the end of the first half. This time to tie it was to take a two-point lead at Texas A&M on Saturday night. It was to tie the game. And you're going to the locker room at 39 apiece, and you're like, we're no closer to deciding the outcome of this one then when we started 20 minutes on the clock ago, it was uh, it was incredible. Let's. It was let's, fun to see. Uh, it was fun to see Richard Cross, the Ole Miss fan, last night. Don't get to see him too often. He was into it though. I, I don't get to do that very often, uh, and, and yeah. it was fun. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. 
So let's do what Hey Dad suggested a second ago. Let's dive into the box score when we come back because there is a lot to dissect from this ball game last night. Mississippi State and Ole Miss round one. We've got another one coming up in a couple of weeks in Starkville. We're back with you right after this. You're hearing sports talk, Mississippi. What? What? This is so awesome on Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us in the Pearl River Resort studio. Hey, Dad, I don't know if you can remember this from the way the game unfolded last night. So Ole Miss finished the first half 6 of 15 from 3. And I was not like religiously watching live stats as the game was going on, but I was kind of watching the stats that they had on the video board. And I think Ole Miss was one of ten from three to start the game. Does that sound right? They, they, that sounds correct. Yeah, they were they were struggling from deep early. So they made their last five threes of the first half. I know they made their one. last four. Maybe maybe they were two of ten to start from three. And then made four or five to finish out that, whatever the numbers. So let's go through some of these numbers. First half, Mississippi State goes 14 of 28 from the field. They shoot 50%. They hit three of 10 from behind the arc and go eight of nine from the free throw line. And I, I, I was sitting next to my wife. I kept looking at Jane going, Mississippi State shooting 58% from the free throw line in conference games. And they started the game 6 of 6, and they finished the half 8 of 9. She's like, well, not tonight they're not. I was like, thanks for the insight. That is that is some dynamite analysis. I appreciate that. Let her. She needs to come do your job. You go sell some dresses. Um, It was not as good, though, in the second half. So after going 8 of 9 in the first half, Mississippi State goes 6 of 11 from the free throw line in the second half. And they finish 14 of 20, none bigger than the last two free throws of the game. You, you get Cameron Matthews to the free throw line. The first one coming out of his hand, you could tell it was, it did not come out yep. of his hand good. It was off to the left. It was a hard brick that bounced off. And let's see, Mississippi State took a timeout there before the next free throw. And obviously, based on what you saw in the next free throw, the plan coming out of that timeout was, you're going to have to intentionally miss this free throw. You're looking for an offensive rebound and a putback to try and tie the game and send it to overtime. But then Cam Matthews, in just kind of trying to push it up there, shoots an air ball, which means it's a dead ball and it's Ole Miss basketball and for all practical purposes, game's over at at that point. But those first-half shooting numbers for Mississippi State, you're like, this is this is incredible. But Ole Miss matched them, 15 of 34, 44%. But they hit 40% from behind the arc, 6 of 15. Only four free throw attempts in the first half for Ole Miss, 3 of 4 from the line. Second half, the shooting numbers were even better. 
Mississippi State shoots 57% from the field in the second half. They go 5 of 8 from deep. That's 63%, but then 6 of 11 from the free throw line. Second half, Ole Miss, 17 of 29 from the field, 59%. They go uh, 6 of 15, so exact same, 40% from 3, and 7 of 9 from the free throw line. And again... Ole Miss makes big free throws at the end of the ball game to ice it for the game. State shoots 54%, 44%, 70%. Those are numbers that win you basketball games. Ole Miss shoots 51%, 40%, and then 77% from the line. State State shot the ball well enough to win. There's no getting around that one. You know, and if you're Chris Jansen, you probably feel like you wasted it. Because I think if you had told him coming into this game his team was going to score 82 points and shoot the ball that way, they he would have been like, I'll take it right now. I'll take it. But the number is is the turnovers. That's where the game was lost. The game was lost in the first half with State having nine turnovers that Ole Miss was able to turn into, I, I want to say, 14 points. So you look at it, we're tied at the half. And if State cuts that number in half there, they're probably up seven, eight points going into the locker room. And maybe they hold on to win, I don't know. That's where the game was lost. And, and, and Jans has been talking about turnovers for the past couple of weeks. It's our biggest Achilles heel. That's what, if we can't fix that, we can't win basketball games. And, and it bit him tonight. This team did everything else they needed to do to win. They shot the ball well. They, they rebounded. Uh, they got double, they got all of their role players involved. Hubbard had a huge game, but Deshaun Davis getting in double figures. You hope that's a good sign of things to come. Shaq Moore and Cam, uh, Matthews both in double figures. Another night where Tolu doesn't give you a whole lot. He only gave you nine and seven, but you were right there with a chance to and, win. And only two of if, those were offensive rebounds of the seven. I thought that was big. Yeah. So State's just got to, you know, State, if they could just stop making the, the mistakes, they would have a couple more wins, I would think. But as it is in this one, they made mistakes, Ole Miss capitalized, and that's why they got the loss. Both players had four in double figures. Cam Matthews, monster night, 16-12. and 12. And unfortunately, probably he's going to be remembered for the free throw miss at the end of the ball game. But I don't think that takes away. 33 minutes, 16 points, 12 rebounds, that's really good. Uh, 21 points for Josh Hubbard on 7-15. of 15. He made all four of his free throws. He hit three threes in the game. Seven assists and no turnovers last night for Josh Hubbard in just his second career start. 14 points for Shaquille Moore in the game. And you mentioned it a second ago, 15 points from Deshaun Davis. I feel like that could be huge for Mississippi State going forward because he's a better player than he's been for the last two weeks. And Jans and Shaq Moore both talked about that in in, in the post game that they hope that he can build on that. because He doesn't have to get 15 every night, too. He just needs to not be giving you just two. Yes. <laughs> if he can give you seven, eight points off the bench, a couple of assists. I, I tweeted about him. In his first three minutes he played in the first half, he had two turnovers and two fouls. And so they pulled him out of the game. But his second half was really, really strong. And, and sort of the opposite, uh, his opposite number on the Ole Miss side, the guy that maybe you weren't expecting too much from who ends up having a huge game is T.J. Caldwell. And I told you, I said every year in this game there's an yeah. Ole Miss player who plays out of their mind and has a massive game, and it was T.J. Caldwell. That's the, that's another difference in the game is Ole Miss getting 18 points out of a guy who scores five a game. 18 points on six of eight shooting. He made four threes, made both free throws in the game, and played 26 minutes last night.
And I remember last week we were like, we, we played the, the post-game press conference from Chris Jans after the Arkansas game, and the first question was about an injury to T.J. Caldwell, and I thought, what a weird way to start the press conference. And Chris Jan- or, excuse me, Chris Beard said, yeah, it was really disappointing. we got to go see you know, how he's doing. I'm going to the training room right after this. But T.J. Caldwell has had a really good few days of practice leading into this game, and I was really excited to see what he was going to bring. And I thought, that feels like kind of a throwaway answer. But when you fast forward a week and you see what T.J. Caldwell did just a week later in the same building, kind of the same scenario, you, you kind of see what Chris Beard was talking about that. He was one of four players, the only non-starter for Ole Miss in double figures. 20 points from Matthew Morrell. Um, 21 points from Jalen Murray last night. But to me, the 21 points, uh, while they're huge and they had to have all of them, the thing that stands out to me for, for Juju Murray last night is 11 assists and one turnover. And very creative uh, assists as well. It wasn't just like he was just swinging it around the edge and a guy made a three-point shot. I mean, he broke down the defense. Uh, he was able to break it down and kick it out and, and hit wide-open guys. I mean, there were a couple of passes that he made where it's like, man, how does he see? Got to have eyes in the back of his head or something like that. He is uh, distributing the ball and seeing the floor better uh, every single night out. And because he was able to create so well for others, he was able to create for himself and get easy looks at the basket because State's defense couldn't collapse on him when he drove. And so he was able to get easy looks. And, and you know, he's a minus defender because of his size, but it's not, I mean, he, uh, we talk about it all the time. It's not for lack of effort. Uh, he is becoming a a star is a is a relative term, but he's becoming a star. Uh, just shoots well, confident, and in those key moments, very measured, relaxed, and just distributes the ball and makes shots. And the the last minute of the game, it, it, he has the same demeanor demeanor as the first minute of the game, and because of that, they they win. I thought the relaxed demeanor was most evident on the final play of the first half where he's just standing, dribbling the ball 30 feet. He's not in any rush. He's not in any hurry. It goes under five seconds, and he starts to make a move to his left. He gets an okay screen that instead of fighting over the top of, Josh Hubbard tries to go underneath, and he's got a wide-open 25-foot three that he just buries as it goes to the the break. Yeah, on the broadcast... um... They were like, "Why on earth in that spot are you going underneath that screen?" That they, they yeah. called that a rookie mistake. It's you got to go over top of that screen and fight through it when there's three seconds left on the clock and a three-point shooter's pulling up to shoot a three. I got something I want to bounce off you guys when we come back. Um, I think I could make an argument that Jamin Breakfield, despite the fact that he missed some wide-open looks from three, he was just one of five from three last night. He did finish with double figures. I think I can make an argument that he was the most important player for Ole Miss last night. We bounce that idea off you guys when we come back and see what you think. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. We're back with you right after this in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. Super Talk Mississippi.
College sports will go on, but the foundation of college sports is crumbling in a way that I don't even know that we could have predicted. We'll get into that later this afternoon. There is some crazy stuff that is happening right now at the national level that is shaking college athletics at its foundation. It's time for Greg Sankey to to do something. And I'm not being hyperbolic. It's time for the leaders of college sports to to get a grip and do what needs to be done. Because going down the road that it's currently going down, allowing judges and lawmakers to decide the future of the sport, you're not going to like what they the, the conclusion that they come to. you, you got to do something now, or else you're not going to like the result. But the question is, is there too much toothpaste out of the tube to do anything? Again, we'll... We'll get yeah. into that as we move through the show this afternoon. I said I wanted to bounce this idea off of you guys. So on a night where you had eight players between two teams scoring double figures, and for Ole Miss, the lowest double-figure guy of those four was Jamin Brakefield. He played 38 minutes, was 4 of 11 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, made his only free throw attempt. He had four rebounds. Had three steals, six assists. It was a good stat line, but he also missed some some wide-open shots from three in the game. Finished with ten points. I would make an argument, I don't know if it's the right argument or not, that he was the most important player last night for Ole Miss. Now, I'm not sure that you can pull anybody's individual performance out and have Ole Miss get the result that they got last night. Here's here's the point that I'm making with Jamin Brakefield. Ole Miss is big guys. Musa say and Jamarian Sharp combined to play 17 minutes in the game last night. 11 minutes and 11 seconds from Musa Cisse, 6 minutes and 28 seconds from Jamarian Sharp. They both had four fouls in the game. Actually, they, uh, yeah, is that right? Yeah, both had four fouls. Sharp had two fouls. It's just Sharp, he, Sharp he was a bad two. matchup for State. They couldn't yeah. play him much. So Ole Miss was not able to maybe with their big guys, do what they want. And so with Cissé spending a lot of time on the bench, a lot of the responsibility of dealing with Tolu Smith down low fell onto the shoulders of Jamin Brakefield, which kind of took him out of the rebounding game, and I think may have taken taken him out of his offensive rhythm a little bit. Because if you watch Tolu Smith, regardless of who Mississippi State is playing, there is a battle down low with the big men. I mean, it's like an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman in an Oklahoma drill that lasts for 40 minutes or for however long they're on the floor. And when you look at the final stat line for Tolu Smith of nine points and seven rebounds, and there was a stretch there in the second half when Cissé went to the bench where Mississippi State made a concerted effort on like four trips in a row down the floor to go straight to Tolu Smith. And I thought, I'm not sure you're stopping this guy for the rest of this game. Like eight minutes to go in the game. And Jamin Brakefield just kind of held his own. It was kind of a stalemate down low. Now, they didn't ask you to do it just one-on-one. There was a lot of guard help. If the ball came to Tolu Smith, Brakefield was trying to kind of body him up and hold him in place and allow a guard to get in and try and come and swat the ball away, force him to pass out of a double team. Did you guys see that at all as the game was unfolding? Did, yeah. Does that make any sense 
at all what I'm saying? It does. The the defensive versatility was necessary with, with a lesser guy may not been a, may not have been able to do that. Yeah, the small ball lineup wasn't particularly effective, but it was effective enough uh, to to keep them in the game. It's I mean, and frankly, you know, neither team, despite scoring the way they did, played particularly well. So things like what you just laid out. Really? State turned the ball over a bunch. Old Miss couldn't make a shot for the first 15 minutes of the game. Neither team was perfect. No. By, by any stretch. Um, State takes care of the ball. They win. Old Miss makes shots early. They win going away. I don't know. I, I mean, I think both teams can, can play markedly better but yeah uh, w- without that uh, i mean state probably wins also the the in the nba so i'm, I'm i promise I've, i'm going somewhere so so hear me out uh, in the nba they have a separate stat category that they call clutch it's not just a word people use you are able to look at a team what they do in the clutch. And clutch is defined by if a game at the five-minute-to-go mark in the fourth quarter is within five points. How a team performs for the remaining five minutes is a separate stat category. You can get three-point percentage, field goal percentage, blocks, steals, turnovers, all of that. You can get all of that on its own because stats can be kind of misleading, right? Like my Pelicans are the best first-quarter team in the NBA. They're unbelievable. And if you look at their stats and their shooting splits and all that, and you see how many games they lose late, you think, how can a team that shoots this well have this record? How are they so poor? Well, in the clutch, they're awful. They have a 30% turnover rate within the last five minutes of the game. Worst in the NBA. Horrible. We don't get that stat in college. We don't have that stat category in college. I would be willing to bet Ole Miss is one of the best teams in the country in the clutch. Because remember earlier this season... We do have a similar stat to that in college, but it's the opposite of clutch. And Ole Miss is very high in it. It's called luck. Ken Palm rates luck, and Ole Miss is rated as one of the top luck teams in the fact that they have won so many close games. The the thing I would tell you is that luck kind of makes itself. And in a close game, if you're pulling out close game after close game, I think it's because you're well coached. Yeah, that's the- and I, the same thing could be said about Kiffin's teams. Right, this past year. They won a lot of close games. Why? Because Kiffin's a good coach. Beard is a good coach. So his teams are ready for those final moments. So they may quantify it as luck. They may quantify it as clutch, however you want to put it. In the closing minutes, if you haven't put Ole Miss away, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, because luck is not the, the appropriate word, I don't think. Uh, because each of the last two games, but remember the conversations we were having early in the season when they were playing not good teams. It was... Look, you shouldn't be this close with Sam Houston State, but they, they found a way to win the game. They made the play. Sam Houston State didn't, and that's why they went undefeated in the non-conference. Same thing in the Memphis game. When they had Memphis in the pavilion, and, and it was a close game, and Memphis didn't make plays down the stretch, and Ole Miss did. They have, um, what is it, eight wins now where it would have fit that clutch window this season? And it happened again last night just like it did in College Station. They... For whatever reason, whether it's a combination or or a single thing of mental makeup, Murray being exceptional lately, coaching, it's all of the above, but they executed when it mattered most and their opponent did not. And that is a common theme and a common refrain for this team 
their clutch minutes, they're really, really good. They don't turn the basketball over. They they have uh, really solid possessions. You you have guys that are comfortable taking shots. You now have four different guys had to step to the free throw line in the last two games with the game on the line in the closing seconds, and all four of them made both of those free throws. This is a team that is exceptionally good in the closing minutes of basketball games. And, I mean, the the sample size is so large now that you have to chalk it up to them being well-coached, mentally really strong. Um, I I don't know if there's going to be a regression back to the mean. I just think this might be who they are. Let's go to the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. And I'm kind of doing these in reverse order from, from most recent and going backwards. State will win in Starkville. It's hard to win on the road in the SEC, period. Teams that can do that usually play well in the tournament. I think you were looking at two NCAA tournament teams last night. I, I do. I agree. Um, Mike Ole Miss Oxford, has just won so many games at this point, Richard. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting to the point where they're, they're going to be looking at like having 22, 23 wins. And I know it's not the old days where 20 wins you're automatically in. Yeah. But 22 or 23 wins is going to have been enough to get you in. I mean, they're surely going to win four or five more games. You referenced Ken Palm a second ago. Um, you know, is it going to play out exactly the way he predicts the rest of the way? Maybe, maybe not, probably not. But he's got Ole Miss going 9-9 nine and nine in the conference with 23 or maybe 22 wins overall. Um, that means that Ole Miss would go, what, 4-6 and six the rest of the way? Mm-hmm. They're going to go 9-9? Nine and nine? Not sure that I see that happening, but we'll see. Um Mike in Oxford says, speaking of stats, I think players should get one and a half assists for an assist that leads to a three-point basket. Brandon says, my biggest takeaway from the game is how Mississippi State is supposed to be a good defensive team, and Ole Miss is questionable at times offensively. Are they? But Ole Miss scored 80-plus. Are they questionable offensively? This is a pretty good offensive team. They're a top 30 team in the country in offensive efficiency. Maybe those were just two good basketball teams that played last night. Uh, Mississippi State played better offensively than it is statistically this year last night. And Ole Miss may have played a little bit better offensively. Um, Mississippi State did not guard the three-point line as well as they have been. They've been holding opponents to 27, almost 28% from the three-point line. Ole Miss shoots 40% last night from three. Uh, Ben and Brandon says he thinks that Jans kept Tolu out too long when he got his fourth foul. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be back with you right after this. Come on, Super Talk Mississippi. Check this out. Are you ready? Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. Starting tomorrow, tomorrow, Supertalk Mississippi is going to be giving you a chance to win tickets to a concert 
that's almost impossible to get tickets to. Unless you want to really, really, really dig deep into your billfold. We'll have more details on the concert and how you can win, not just tickets, but also a little spending cash. A little spending cash to go along. That's coming up tomorrow. More details to follow. Um, let's stick with the ceasefire text line as we wrap up this first hour of the show. We got a, a bracket that was sent to us from a, a listener, uh, follows Tim Kruger. Tim Kruger works with uh, Creighton Basketball and takes a stab at it. Certainly not as mainstream. His bracket, and I don't know if this was before the games of yesterday or after the games of yesterday, he's got Mississippi State in the tournament as a seven seed, and unless I'm looking at it wrong, he does not have Ole Miss in. He's trying to figure out why and was kind of going through, and they were just pointing to the fact that we're dealing with some unprecedented stuff. Resumes that are good enough, but net rankings that are outside the top 50. And Ole Miss falls into that category. And his point was, we simply don't know what to do with these teams because there's no historical precedent. So what if Ole Miss continues to win? What if Ole Miss gets to 10 wins in the SEC? But the computers continue to not love Ole Miss and they stay somewhere in that 48 to 54 range in the net. Well, historically, if you're an SEC team, you better be in the top 40 or so of the net if you're going to get into the tournament. And so at some point the wins have to matter, you would think, especially in a league like the SEC. So we'll see. Joe Lunardi, for his part, Miss, does uh, have Ole Miss in. Ole Miss needs a... Uh... State to keep winning. Turn that into a quad one win for them. Just get yeah. to ten. The metrics will work themselves out. Just get to ten. Yeah, I, I tend think to think so. that. State was eight and ten last year and made it. I forget what their net was. I want to say it was in the high forties, you know, forty one, forty two range. I, I don't know what it was off the top of my head, and I don't seem to be able to find a way to go back and access it. They yeah. don't have the uh, they don't have archives for that. So N- next week is going to be yeah. tough in the wins department <laughs> at South Carolina at Kentucky. Just like this week is tough for state yeah. at Ole Miss yeah. and at Alabama. Goodness. Yeah. So at South uh, Carolina, it's a pretty good team. No doubt, they, they can go on the road and win. Uh, we have we have evidence. We have evidence of that. Here's one: the unbalance of the SEC schedule that some teams have much harder schedules than others, like Mississippi State playing Auburn, Alabama, and Kentucky twice, where LSU does it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's but that's the add shake South out Carolina of to that too. State plays South Carolina twice too. Yeah, they have. They have, and and state has played again. Eight of the, their first nine games here in conference play are going to be quad one games. You couldn't That's have right. known that before the season started, but the the the, the 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 schedule gets a little bit easier as much as it can in SEC play after you get past this Saturday. But the flip side of the unbalanced schedule is if you play that harder schedule, you've got more wiggle room in terms of of the metrics. Your your metrics are going to stay better. So right. you eventually got to win some games, whereas Ole Miss may not have quite as much wiggle room. Maybe they've got to win a couple more games than a Mississippi State does because the overall difficulty of their schedule is not as hard as Mississippi State's. Um, Nathan in Senatobia says T.J. Caldwell was a beast last night. I hope he gets more playing time. I think he, he will. Yeah, that's he, he a will. huge reason Ole Miss won. Yeah. Uh, Ole Miss fan here, and I'm sorry to say it, 
Hubbard is going to be a problem, a big one. Kid is a star in the making, and it doesn't take an expert to see it. And what's interesting, because he's not the tallest guy in the world, he's not, he's not a huge guy, I don't know how he projects at the next level. Like, he's just he's just a little short. I, I think he projects well because he can shoot. But he, he's so he's, he's short enough that, it, that people are going to have questions. So, you know, a guy like him having the year like he's having, if he was 6'2", this would be the only year he'd be at Mississippi State. No question. He'd just go on to the next level. At, his, at the height he's at, could get a couple years out of him. Regardless of his professional future, I would love to be the guy in charge of negotiating his future contract, his future NIL deal, because his worth is skyrocketing by the day. If he's at Mississippi State next year, he will be very well compensated. And if he is not very well compensated by Mississippi State, he will be very well compensated by somebody because he can absolutely play. Jeff and Ponatalk, that was one of the best basketball games I've ever watched. Jeff, you're about the fourth different person that I've talked to today that has said just that. And it had nothing to do with the outcome. That game was riveting, beginning to end. It absolutely was. It absolutely was. Richard, were you the fan throwing stuff onto the court? Uh, no, <laughs> that was not me. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. That was Jane. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams with live reports from the games and practices on Super Talk Mississippi. Pretty significant jump cut that we're making here. An hour of basketball to start things off after a wild night last night in Oxford with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And we're going to turn our attention to baseball for the uh, next few minutes. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America joins us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Teddy, the last few years, people by you know the last day of January have been fully ready to focus on college baseball here in uh, in the Magnolia State, a little bit less so with some uh, some exciting basketball and some disappointing results on the diamond um, with Ole Miss and Mississippi State the last couple of years. But it's getting close. It, it's getting really, really close. Two weeks from this Friday, we open the college baseball season, and we're happy to visit with you for the first time this year. What's up, my man? Uh, it's, uh, it's a great time of year. Uh, hard to believe that opening day is closing in on us quite this fast, but it's, uh, it's a great time of year. So, just another year of a bunch of good teams in the SEC. Maybe that's uh, the place that we start because, good grief, you look at preseason rankings and it is, as usual, per usual, littered with teams from the SEC. Yeah, the SEC looks uh, exceptionally strong again this year. Um, you know, you've got LSU and Arkansas in the West kind of leading the way, and then uh, Florida seems to be consensusly at the, the top of the, the East, but. You know, Tennessee and Vanderbilt are, are certainly in the mix as well. And, you know, you look up and down, uh, you know, A&M expected to bounce back after a bit of a down season. And I say that, and they made a regional final. Um, and, you know, Auburn looks good. Alabama looks good. The, the, the whole conference, again, uh, looks, looks quite strong, which, uh, you know, if you're a team trying to make, a, make your way up from the cellar, maybe is, uh, is a little bit daunted right now. 
Yeah, it certainly is, and we're not used to seeing teams from Mississippi not in the the preseason top twenty five and not in some of the yeah you know lists that you see going into the year. So so let's talk about the three D one teams here in Mississippi, and let's actually start in Hattiesburg. So the Scott Berry era has come to an end. Christian Ostrander, the new head coach at uh, at the University of Southern Mississippi, a great reputation, especially for the work that he's done with pitchers over the uh, the last few years. Your thoughts on Southern Miss in the Sun Belt this season as uh, we begin year one of the Christian Ostrander era? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because not only are they not ranked, um, you know, they're not picked to win the Sun Belt, and I think a lot of people are not going to have them second in the Sun Belt either because Troy uh, brings back an awful lot. And, you know, honestly, that says more about Coastal Carolina, which is the favorite, and Troy's and Southern Miss, I think. There's just a lot new in Hattiesburg. You know, obviously, anytime there's a coaching change, especially somebody that's been there as long as Scott Barry with a, a first-time coach, uh, you know, you you got to wonder just how are things going to work. Uh, obviously, you know, they're going to have to work through some things in the early part of the season, I think. And then you also are losing Tanner Hall, who just was so outstanding uh, on Friday nights for the last uh, last couple of years there for the Golden Eagles. I think the pitching staff is still good. I they're, They don't have a Tanner Hall, I, I don't think. Um, you know, but you look at the depth of the bullpen. Uh, they've got a lot of options they can go to there. If they can just get the right mix in the rotation, I like where they're at. Uh, there are a ton of like veterans in the lineup that, that moved on after last season. Uh, but, but I think that, you know, this is going to be, you know, Southern Miss is traditionally a pitching based outfit. I think that's what this, this team looks like. Uh, but I do think the offense has some upside as well. Is there any reason to think that the Sun Belt can't be a three or four bid league? Oh, no, I, I would, I would project, uh, three, four. Yeah, for sure. I, I think they've got that, uh, got that in them again this year. Uh, and you know, you look at what the Sun Belt did in uh, in the NCAA tournament last year. Obviously, Southern Miss in, in a super. Uh, Coastal goes down in a regional final. Troy acquitted itself really well uh, in a regional. So I mean, I, I think that uh, they've proven themselves. I think it, it's a it's a strong league again. Um, you know, those three teams, especially. I like Texas State. The Cajuns look good. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think three or four is uh, is perfectly reasonable to expect out of the Sun Belt. All right, Teddy, let's go up the road from Hattiesburg to Starkville, Mississippi State. Uh, it was it was not pretty at the end of last season. Um, is this a bounce back here? It, it feels like a really important year for Chris Lamonis and this Mississippi State baseball team. I don't think there are a ton of questions offensively. There are questions, I think, on the mound. What is your assessment of Mississippi State? Yeah, I think the offense, I mean, the offense last year even was, uh, was pretty good. I mean, and you look at some of the guys, uh, that you can count on offensively, you know, you, you've got, you've got some veterans there. You've got some power there. Uh, you've got some speed there. I mean, you, you have exciting, you know, freshmen and, and newcomers. Like I, I, I really like Amani Larry and, uh, you know, Dakota Jordan is, is a really, really talented player. And he's a lot of fun to watch, obviously. Uh, you know, so if they can just build around an offense like that, I, I think that's got to be the starting point for them. But ultimately, they are going to need some pitchers to step up, whether that's newcomers, uh, whether that's 
you know, a returner like Nathan Dom taking a step forward. Uh, you know, something's got to happen there because the, the pitching staff just was not good enough last year. And, you know, they know that. That's why they made the changes they made. But uh, that that is got to be the focus on, uh, on this season if they're going to make that improvement that, that we're talking about. And I guess from Starkville, we go west on the road to Oxford and take a look at an Ole Miss team that's going to have a lot of new faces in the lineup, whether you're talking about Luke Hill, who comes in from Arizona State, or Jackson Ross, who comes in from Florida Atlantic, or some of the other new pieces, um, or, or even young pieces that come in that are going to be expected to make a difference. Uh, it's an Ole Miss team that, that struggled in a way that a Mike Bianco team has not struggled in his entire tenure at uh, at Ole Miss of of over two decades, is this a bounce back season for the Rebels? I think I like their chances a little bit more to have a bigger bounce back than, than Mississippi State. They lose Alderman, they lose Gonzalez. Those are two really big pieces that they have to replace. But I like what they brought in. You know, you mentioned Luke Hill, you got Andrew Fisher. Like there are there are good offensive pieces there. And then the pitching staff last year, again, not good enough. They know that. Uh, it was rather on the younger side, though. And so you're hoping that the sophomore, the now sophomores are taking a step forward this year, like Sonia, like Quinn. And if they, they have the ability to do that, they were kind of thrown into the fire last year in some respects. Ole Miss really never recovered from losing Elliott. Um, you know, if they can get the production that they're expecting from players like, like those sophomores, I, I think they have a chance to be a lot more competitive, uh, you know, really throughout the SEC West. Uh, but that's a, they, they've got to do it. They've got to take that step forward. And, uh, you know, that's not going to be an easy step forward uh, considering everything that, that happened last year. You know, Teddy, one of the pieces that's interesting to me on the mound this year for Ole Miss is the return of Josh Mallets. I think there were a lot of people that thought that that he would turn pro after last season, even after missing the entire year uh, from an injury. He did not. I mean, he was an unhittable piece of that bullpen two years ago when Ole Miss won a national championship and then misses all of last season with, with Tommy John. Uh, what's reasonable to expect from a guy like Josh Mallets? Yeah, I mean, he was, like you said, a really important piece of that bullpen. And if he's back to full health, you know, I, I don't know that you could expect him to return to quite that level because it was uh, it was really an, an impressive run for, for him down the stretch. But I, I think that he can be a, a very reliable piece, and they need that because, you know, if you're looking at the rotation, the rotation can be fine. Maybe it can be better than fine if, if the sophomores step up. But I also think it would be reasonable for Ole Miss to maybe build from the back a little bit more and try and take the pressure off of the rotation. And if you have a mallet at the back end or, or giving you multiple innings there, I, I think that that could really help uh, with some of those younger pitchers uh, in the rotation. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Mallet's return I, I think could be a big X factor for them. Is there anything that in the first two weeks, maybe first three weeks, just pops off the page at you in terms of schedule. We've got we've got so many of these tournaments early season that, that give us good matchups. Is there anything that stands out among all of it? You know, I don't think so this year. Um, I actually find opening weekend to be a little bit disappointing uh, from a scheduling standpoint. That's not to say there aren't exciting matchups. Obviously there are, uh, but there is not 
to my memory anyway, one of those tournaments that, you know, if you think back a couple of years when Mississippi State and Ole Miss were both in the same tournament on opening weekend and it was like six of the top 14 teams or something crazy like that in the country, that in Arlington, that that's not happening this year. There are good tournaments, there are good matchups, but there's not uh, that, that show-stopping uh, tournament or, or series early on. So, I mean... Maybe something will emerge, but I think right now we're looking at more just like good matchups rather than than must see uh, tournaments. You know that was one of my favorite all time baseball weekends. You had Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Texas, Texas Tech, and TCU all in a major league ballpark, and that's when we were coming back from the craziness of COVID. That was awesome. That was fantastic. So, hey, uh, Teddy, great catching up with you to start the season. We look forward to visiting with you throughout the year and uh, wish you nothing but the best. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be talking college baseball again. No doubt. No doubt. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America joining us on the Farm Bureau Guest Line. We're back with you right after this. Let the broadcasting of the disturbed continue. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. looked at that opening weekend schedule that Teddy was talking about. Not great, Clark. Kentucky at USC Upstate, UNC Asheville at Georgia, VMI at LSU, James Madison at Arkansas, Miami at South Carolina. That's Miami of Ohio. Difference. Manhattan at Alabama, McNeese at Texas A&M, St. John's at Florida. This one's okay, I guess. FAU at Vanderbilt. Air Force at Mississippi State. Eastern Kentucky at Auburn, Texas Tech in Tennessee, but that's from Globe Life in uh, in Arlington. Missouri goes to San Luis Obispo to take on Cal Poly, and Ole Miss goes farther west than that to take on Hawaii in Honolulu at Les Murakami Stadium. 10.35 Central p.m. first pitch to open the season on Friday February 16th. Better take a nap that afternoon if you're an Ole Miss baseball fan. So, uh, yeah, that's how uh, the college baseball season is going to begin. Not the, Hey, it's baseball. That's right. It's baseball. It's not the best, but it is hey, baseball. Good news for Mississippi State, Paul Skeens does not play for Air Force. That is good news. That's good news for everybody who plays Air Force this year. Yes. And LSU. And LSU. <laughs> yeah. And LSU for that matter. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm, Supertalk TV. We'll go back to the basketball sub in the uh, 5 o'clock hour, although going to be a little bit of a busy 5 o'clock hour. Um, Former Ole Miss offensive lineman now trying to make his way to the professional ranks. Victor Kern will join us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Also, we will check in with uh, Chris Doring from ESPN, the SEC Network, college football analyst who is – at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. Got Senior Bowl activities that are happening 
this week down in Mobile, and uh, we'll check in with Chris and get some of his observations. Any um, Before we move on from basketball, anything else that, that we need to touch on from last night that, that stood out? I don't guess we mentioned the fact that the all-time record crowd at the uh, pavilion. I, I'll tell you this, and this is just do whatever you want to. I was told by an Ole Miss official last night that there were over 3,000 students at the game last night. Um, as we were walking, so tip-off was at 7.30, ended up being 7.35. We were walking into the building at like 7.28. There were hundreds of students that were still trying to get in. They just ran out of seats for them. And the tickets that we talked about yesterday that were still available late in the day they turned those into students' tickets. And so there were students in the upper decks on both sides yesterday. I don't know what they're going to do on Saturday in in terms of students because all of the reserve seats are sold for the Auburn game on Saturday. And so are they just going to turn students away? Are they just going to look the other way and hope the fire marshal doesn't take notice? I don't know how many more you can pack into the lower level for students, but um, they are expecting another Big, big environment for that 5 o'clock game against Auburn on uh, on Saturday. Anything else from hoops last night that we need to hit on? The, the environment thing is is interesting, though, right? Because the, the, the concept of habit forming. Um, we talked about it with, with the Ole Miss women's conversation. Mississippi State's getting great crowds uh, for, for women's basketball. And even after Schaefer, they're still maintaining that. Just sold out the arena the other night and... That took a while. You talk about building up to that point. You have to, when something is not your, your typical thing, you, you've got to work your way towards getting people to make that part of their thing. When it's a sport that's not football, you've got to build that and habit form that and make women's basketball part of your thing. Well, Ole Miss has spent years now uh, losing basketball fans. They showed highlights during the game last night. Of last year's game in Oxford that went to overtime, I saw that. yeah. The, the The crowd is shocking, in a bad way. I, I mean, this might be conservative. Probably one sixth of the crowd. Rivalry game in Oxford, nobody there. And so, when you're trying to make basketball part of your culture, which is what Chris Beard's trying to do at Ole Miss, right? He's trying to make basketball a thing there. You have to have nights like that, but more importantly, you got to win nights like that, right? Because of the over 10,000 people that went there, not every fan in the arena last night is a basketball fan where they don't miss a game. They, they know all the players. They, they knew who Chris Beard was, and since the day that he started coaching games at Ole Miss, they've been there. You have people that, oh, it's a big night, Mississippi State, got a ticket, let's go. They get that environment. They leave the arena wanting to go back. And to make basketball part of the every game fill up the arena culture, when you get that, you've got to capitalize on that. They got that, and they capitalized on that, which is huge as you try to make basketball a thing at your school the way Auburn has, for example. And, and hey, Dad, I think that pertains to Mississippi State as well. Three straight Saturdays. Mississippi State has had sellouts at home, Alabama, Vanderbilt, and then this past week against Auburn. They go a couple of weeks without a Saturday home game. So it's it, this Saturday they're in Tuscaloosa. Come back 
for a Wednesday night game against Georgia. I, I don't know that I expect that one to be like a hard sellout. I would certainly expect it to be a good crowd. But then they get a Saturday home game against Arkansas. I would expect that one to be full. They get a Wednesday night home game against Ole Miss. I would certainly expect that one to be full. They get a Tuesday night home game against Kentucky. I would expect that one to be full. And then they get South Carolina on the final Saturday of the regular season. Of Mississippi State's five remaining home SEC games, I would expect certainly three, if not four of them, to be sellouts. Mm -hmm. I mean... Talking about quad one games too. You're going to need those uh, yeah. those teams coming in. You're going to need those crowds coming in to, to sort of get you over the hump. Uh, State's already announced that next Saturday the student tickets are all sold out for the Georgia game, and uh, we'll see if the uh, the general admission comes. State not having a midweek game next week probably helps them a little bit. People will be wanting to get back to the hump after having that's been away Wednesday for what game. two whole. That's not a Saturday. Is it Wednesday night? The mm-hmm. that's oh, a, you're right. That's, that's Wednesday, the Wednesday, February seventh. Okay, the Wednesday game. There's no Saturday game next week, so it's it's. Right. You have it's you only have one trip to make to Starkville next week, and we didn't talk about that after the after the Auburn game this past Saturday. But how often? I know you've heard it, hey Dad. If I've heard it, you've heard it fifty times over. Mississippi State fan saying, "We finally create an atmosphere for basketball, and they come up short." How many times have we heard that? You get everybody paying attention, we heard and it you come a ton, up short. Ton after the Alabama game, yeah. Saturday, but Mississippi State fans credit. They came back and they they did they had a good crowd against Vanderbilt and they had a really good crowd against Auburn, and you know this is a tough week because you're going to be an underdog when you go to Alabama, yeah. and if you if you can't win that you know losing two straight it hurts but it feel it, it appears like people have bought in enough to say okay they're going through a tough stretch we need to be there on on Wednesday when they play Georgia and that's awesome because the same principle applies you had a casual fan take little Johnny to the state basketball game to watch them play Auburn on Saturday, and they left with an awesome feeling, and now they're going to go back, and suddenly little Johnny's going to want to go to every basketball game. That's how you build a fan base. It's perfect. For for example, Dan in Hattiesburg, regular listener, regular texter on the ceasefire text line, had his son in Starkville on Saturday for his very first Mississippi State game. Had a blast. Got to meet him after the game. Was kind to come up to me and speak. Um, And they had a blast. I got to believe Dan's bringing his son back to a, to another game if you know they can work it out from a schedule standpoint. So what about Ole Miss's remaining home schedule? Well, we talked about Auburn this Saturday. It's already a hard sellout. Ole Miss will not be back home though. That's February third. Ole Miss won't play another home game until February seventeenth. So they go Tuesday night South Carolina road game, Saturday open date, Tuesday night at Kentucky road game. And then they come back home for a night home game on Saturday, February 17th against Missouri. And then they get a home game against South Carolina. That South Carolina game on February 24th in Oxford at 2.30 on a Saturday afternoon could be massive. And then they get Alabama at home on a Wednesday night. That'll be a big crowd. And then they close the regular season out at home against Texas A&M at 1 o'clock on a Saturday. Finding a seat at the pavilion for the remainder of this home schedule, not going to be easy. That's exactly how it should be, too. Love it. And I don't know if that makes Chris Beard Nostradamus or not, but during the non-conference, he said, you better get your tickets now because before long you're not going to be able to. And people kind of snickered at that a little bit, and it took about a month to get to that point, which is 
a fun place to be. It's a fun place to be in Oxford, and it's a fun place to be in Starkville right now. With two, we think, based on what we saw last night, NCAA tournament teams. Hard to disagree with that, isn't it? Agreed. You can't convince me that there are 66 teams or 68 teams that are better than those two last night. That's not exactly how it works, but you get the idea. Sports Talk Mississippi, we're back with you right after this in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, here's more Super Talk Mississippi. Something yesterday. Something, something cool happened to me on the way to Oxford yesterday that I uh, I meant to mention. I saw a bald eagle. Oh, I, I've never seen one of those in the wild before. Really? Did it change your life? Yeah, it was really cool. I'll tell you that. So I was on 45. I'm driving up, and I'm like, I see this bird, and I'm like, that is a big bird. What is that? And it is flying low. It's like circling the road. Like I don't know if there was something down there or not. And it's, I mean, it wasn't more than like 10, 12 feet above my car. And I'll look up, big black burr with a white head and the gold beak. I was like, America, let's go. It's, I thought that was a good omen, but but it was not. But, but it was cool. I was like, wow, I've never seen one outside of a zoo before. So that, I don't know what the the nesting situation is. So you said that was on 45? Well, between like West Point and Tupelo? Yeah. So there are a couple of places in and around Sardis Lake just through the years where bald eagles have nested. And you can occasionally see them, and it's just such a cool thing. It really was. uh, Let's see. We were, I guess it was two summers ago, we were in Montana and were just kind of, hiking and driving through some back roads in the mountains and pulled over. I was like, there's a bald eagle. And it was one of those, like, we pulled over, stopped, and just got out and just looked at it. And yeah. there had clearly, at some point in the the past, whether it was a year or five years, there had been wildfires. And so you had a lot of trees that had all of the branches that were burned off of them, but it was just like, the trunk just went straight up and then it stopped. And there was this bald eagle that, I don't know, two or 300 yards from where we were was just perched on top of one of these trunks of a tree. And it's like, America. I mean, it's just like the most yeah. majestic That's all you can say, thing. yeah. And, and yeah. You know, I wasn't like trying to take a picture of it for the sake of, oh, so I can remember this. I pulled my phone out so I could zoom in and get a better look at it. And you're like... It's crazy how big they are. Yeah. And just beautiful. Oh, just absolutely beautiful. 
Mm. Yeah. Really cool. Uh, Dwayne and Brandon says a bald eagle used to nest at his friend's house in Louisville. Yeah. Do they... When they nest, is it generally close to water? I mean, I, I don't know enough about... I'm, not, I, I'm just asking. I'm not much of an ornithologist. An ornithologist. I believe that's the word. Yeah. Just while we're being random... If you don't mind, I was scrolling through Twitter last night, and I saw a Merriam-Webster tweet. Some of our favorite collective names for animals. Just run through these real quick, yeah. just because why not? A murder of crows. Ooh, what yeah, I do that one. Wait, wait, I'll, Great I'll song you, by Counting Crows, by the way. Hmm. Murder of one. I, I will give you the term, and you tell me what the animal is it's referring to. Okay, a yeah, t- yeah, let's do it. A, a tuxedo. Penguins. That is correct. A basque. Oh, Bass. B A S K. Turtles. No. No. Some kind of reptile. Yes. Flamingos. Oh, no. no. Uh, iguanas. A basque of crocodiles. Ah. A destruction. Buffalo. Collective name for animals. A destruction of cats. <laughs> I, I will agree with that. You know? Um, yeah. A tower. A giraffe. That is correct. A parliament. Oh, it's uh, it's a bird, isn't it? It is. Or it's owls. At least in the bird. Uh, yeah. A parliament of owls. It's owls, yeah. Yeah. A cackle. Man, I, I wish it was jackals. I don't think it is. <laughs> I mean, you're 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 not. Hyenas. You're kind of in the same hyenas? It's a cackle hyenas? of hyenas. Yes. Uh, a smack. Aquatic smack. life. A smack. A beaver. A little more aquatic than that. A smack uh, of jellyfish. Oh, oh, much more aquatic. An ambush? Oh, I know this one. Oh. Dang it. I'm gonna, it's going to hurt when you say what it is. Go ahead. An, an ambush of tigers. Yeah. And and finally on this one. list, a wisdom. There's some alliteration here, if that helps. Oh, of whales? No. A wisdom animal? of wombats. <laughs> That would be a great album name for, like, uh, I don't know, like for, like, Fish. Mm. If, like, hey, the new Fish album, A Wisdom of Wombats, available in stores this weekend. Um, Knower of all things, John Bond tells us that, uh, yes, bald eagles always nest near water, and there are some on the reservoir in and around the Jackson metro area. Borky, you ever seen a a bald eagle on the reservoir? I haven't seen one here, but I saw one uh, at Sardis in college. Yeah. We need we need to get a sponsor, and John can get a little a uh, little taste of the cash. Just need to have the random John Bond text of the day. Every day, John texts us. Just I don't care what he has to say. Just say something, and it can be brought to you by whoever. Maybe John could just sponsor it himself. John Bond's text of the day brought to you by John Bond. Chris, 
<laughs> create an LLC, write it off as a tax expense. Yeah. Yeah. Just Venmo me five bucks, John. I'll read whatever you want. Oh, me. Dan in Hattiesburg says he saw one where he is near Hattiesburg and was shocked at the size. I mean, that's the thing. It's it's just it's a huge bird. Now we're doing just random animal stuff. Did you guys know that we have a population of jaguars in the United States? Not like I mean, escape from the zoo or anything like that. No, there is a – and it used to, to cover basically the entire American South. They've been – you know – and early settlers uh, hunted them to the point where they they left the region. But we have a very small population of jaguars in the United States. There was one recently caught on a trail cam in Arizona. You would prefer <laughs> to not have a jaguar chasing you, right? Yeah. Yes, that would be preferable. Yeah, I mean, I, most things because we have. You know, pumas, Florida panthers, whatever, they're all the same subspecies of the same animal. We've got those here. Like, those are scattered around the south. But You mean like black panthers? No, no. Like, uh, <laughs> that's debatable. You weren't here that day. No, that you was the last day. day. But, but that, that's debate. Like, th- that hasn't been proven. We've, we've got big cats in the, in the American south. But when this guy had his trail cam... And, like, scientists confirmed it. It's not a hoax. Like, there is a, a jag population where this guy was. But the difference between when a panther walked by and when the jag just kind of hung out in his trail cam, there's a difference. I, I can walk through the, the delta and know that there might be a panther around. If there's a jag around, it's a different feeling. A jaguar with its mouth closed is one of the most beautiful animals I think you can lay your eyes on. Incredible. Mm-hmm. A jaguar bearing its teeth is one of the Terrifying. scariest visions these eyes could ever see. Yeah. You've seen the video of them hunting alligator, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. They hunt alligators. To, to what age yeah. would you be okay with having a pet jaguar? At, at what age would it be like, okay, this is no longer a good pet? Probably you know? like, those things probably grow at a, like a weed, man. They're probably like four or five months. you got to get that thing out of there. It's going to eat a kid. Yeah, my, my drug dealing operation really needs to take off if I'm going to be able to house a, a jag. <laughs> really, back to those direct TV Scarface years ago. Man, we never did that story. Yeah. I had it linked uh, over the summer for a long time. I understand why we didn't, but d- you guys saw the the bust. I forget what country it was. I, I, I think it was Venezuela, where there was a prison that had a zoo inside. Because in some countries, they just let the prisoners run inside however they want. The guards just make sure nobody leaves, but whatever you do inside, you do. They had a full-on zoo with full-time imprisoned zookeepers inside of a prison. They had their families, they were able to smuggle them inside the prison to go visit the zoo with their kids inside of a prison. Ceasefire text line, I live on Pickwick Lake in northern Tishomingo County. Sightings are fairly regular, but I'm awed every time. We're back to the bald eagle, by the way. It says they build nests on top of the huge posts that are in the Tennessee River with the danger depth signs for the barges. The sticks... They use are not considered twigs. They're huge. And if you try to mess with one, park rangers will throw you under the jail. Good. 
Um, somebody says there were uh, bald eagles that were nested at the Pontotoc Country Club at one point, adjacent to Trace Lake. Here comes more Sports Talk Mississippi. You ready, guys? On Super Talk Mississippi. Text line, I swear some of y'all's best segments have nothing to do with who won. L-O-L. That was the message. It's every time. Every um, time. Mike I knew Oxford. when I said it. I knew when I said it. I was like, this is going to take off. But I, I wanted to tell y'all that it happened, so and every other way. <clears throat> Mike reminded me about Real Foot Lake, which is north of Memphis, but more specifically north of Dyersburg, which is where I lived before we moved to Oxford when I was eight years old. And there is a large habitat of bald eagles that make uh-huh. their home at Real Foot Lake. And people like that, that's the attraction of that state park is people come to, to bird watch there. Um, we, we saw this one a second ago. Hold on a second. Oh, if I can find this text message. Forgive me. I'm going to have to summarize this. Oh, here it is. I worked on cell towers for years, and they love to nest up top. But it's where there's a pond or a lake nearby. He's talking about bald eagle and osprey. said it's actually illegal to climb a cell tower where there are bald eagles or osprey nesting. It's disturbing their environment. Huh. Occupational hazard if you are a cell tower climber, which is... Kind of an occupational hazard in and of itself, right? You certainly can't do that if you have. Hey, Dad, could you be a professional cell tower climber? Uh, no, I have a friend that that is kind of in that business, and uh, I'll leave it to him. And and not only cell towers, but radio towers, which sometimes those double oh, up, and sometimes like you have heights. radio towers that have you know, cell antennas that are attached to them as well. We're obviously in the radio business and the radio tower business to some degree. Uh, I, we are. We're not. Our boss. <laughs> our, our, we're, we're in We're in the people helping business, all right? We are in the business of mass communicating. We, we ain't one, a t- one at a time in it out here. We're mass communicating. I guess maybe I should say... Um, the gentleman that signs our paycheck to some degree is in the radio tower business. Point being, Houston McDavid and I have had had conversations about this in the past. The, the people that climb and repair radio towers and transmitters on radio towers, those are highly compensated people. And good. That, that is, yeah, yeah, no doubt. They should be. They should be. Uh, ceasefire text line. Just curious, do you only read certain people's texts over the radio? No, it's not yours. Not. Um, I'll put it this way to you, my friend. Not to brag, but this is a brag. Uh, my text line is freezing. We've gotten so many in the last ten minutes. Like I literally cannot refresh the page right now because it can't keep up with the volume of texts that have come in. Yes, please know if you have sent a text in the last twenty minutes, we have seen it. But we may not have been able to stop the stream fast enough to mention it. Um, this one, uh, hey, Dad, says that there are some 
around your old stomping ground in uh, Vicksburg. I'm sure there are. Yeah. Uh, Bald Eagle, great conservation story. Almost wiped out by the effects of DDT. Made eggs too thin before it was banned. Suppose this is a well-known fact. I mean, yes, well-known, but maybe not top of mind for people. But yes, the Bald Eagle population has rebounded beautifully across the United States. (laughs) Whenever I can't settle on what to watch on Netflix, I turn on Planet Earth. Although I've seen every episode, it never fails. Really is incredible. Uh, Thomas in Greenwood says, yes, used to get $1 a foot climbing bonus. Climb the 2,000-foot WABG tower in the 90s as a teen to change the bulb and make enough to buy a nice used pickup. Dollar a foot? Dollar a foot? What's that in today's land? you know? Economy. Hey guys, I, uh, I I gotta I gotta maybe, go. I've I've got some. Maybe I need to get over some some fears. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, Borky, you're talking two, about two you're, you're talking you're about going straight up half a mile. Oh gosh. Oh man. Um, I mean, I like I hear you. I'm going to go run and go make two grand today by climbing a tower. Let's just put into we're we're talking about two, uh, what like two fifths of a mile so, straight up. I've got this picture of uh, of my son that I look at. If I'm ever like in a bad mood, I'll just look at it. I'll have to stare at that picture for an hour. Is that why you are always looking down? You are literally always looking down on this show. You're like, <laughs> I never close the picture of my son. <laughs> Whatever uh, just, Richard I mean, is talking, he's just like controls here. I mean, I got a lot to make sure is is <laughs> functioning. But if I was going to climb a two thousand foot tower, I would have to stare at that picture. And take like an hour's worth of deep breaths, knowing that I am doing this for his benefit. <sighs> All right, let's go. And then I'll, like I'll take a step and then like come back the down Simpsons. and have to do it again. Do it yeah. for her. Exactly. Yeah. It's the that only way. The, that dollar a foot bonus was on top of the $15 an hour pay. Oh, I would take. That's good because it would take hours. me at least 20 hours to get up there. So that's, that's big money for me. You guys are braver than me, man. Do you like yodel as you climb? Just keep on climbing. Keep I'd be singing something, climbing. I'll tell you that, just to distract me. Just whistle while you work. Sports Talk Mississippi, college football fix when we come back. What do they want? Exciting news. Brace yourself. More Sports Talk Mississippi. Now. Now. Hour with you. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm, Supertalk TV. Of course, on your Supertalk Mississippi radio stations across the Magnolia State. Thanks for being with us in the Pearl River Resort studios. Pearl River Resort, home of the sports book at the Golden Moon Casino. Learn more about them online at PearlRiverResort.com. We start things off in this five o'clock hour on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. And we're joined by now former Ole Miss offensive lineman Victor Kern, originally from Houston, Texas, started his college career at the University of Washington, transferred to Ole Miss, was a starter on the offensive line for Ole Miss uh, this season. And now he is getting ready for uh, Pro Day, 
combine-type activities and trying to continue his career. But, Victor, before we get to any of that, I know this is going to sound strange, so forgive me, but i, I got to bring you into a conversation that we were having in the last hour. Are you afraid of heights? Definitely, easily. Okay, so you're afraid easily. of heights. So think about a cell phone tower that you see on the side of the road, right? I mean, you're driving along okay. and you see the cell phone towers. How much would we have to pay you for you to be willing to climb to the top of a cell phone tower? Just climb it. That's it? Yeah. I mean, you you know, you get up there and hang out and take a picture if you want to. You can take a selfie when you get to the top. But, yeah, I mean, you gotta you got to go all the way to the top. How much would I have to pay you to try that? Mm. And, and by, the way, like, by the way, we would put a safety harness on you. You don't have to. You don't have to free climb it. Yeah. You know, so if, if okay. you slip, you're not going to fall. Fall. That, that might bring my price down. I might say about a fifty k. Fifty k. Fifty k. Fifty thousand dollars. All right. Anyway, right. we we had a guy that texted us a little while ago that said he used to climb radio and television towers for a living, and oh, there was no, a bonus. Insane. And they paid them a dollar a foot, and one of the towers that he climbed was like two thousand feet tall. So it was, anyway, sorry, Ooh. we're we're off the rail a little bit, but uh, just we thought we would start there. Man, your journey is a fascinating one to me. So yeah, you're, you're coming out of Houston. You've got a ton of offers. Uh, you got Big Twelve offers. You've got Pac twelve offers. And you go a long way from home. Why did you originally go all the way to Seattle to play for the University of Washington? I think, like, the big driving force for me was really just Coach Peterson and Coach Huff. That was, like, probably the two driving forces. The main thing, they made me feel comfortable out there. They made me feel like it was okay to be not a West Coast kid and go to a Pac-12 school. And I felt like I could thrive and be comfortable and and be myself up there and, and really, like, excel as a on the field and off the field so that's what really like made me make that jump i was i was kind of nervous being from the south going to the west coast but it was a it was a smooth transition they made it pretty easy for me so vic i feel like we had some some rumors that were dispelled this season about physicality in the pac-12 I mean that that yeah. offensive line this year at washington won the joe war uh, joe moore award for for the best offensive line in the entire country. So so tell us about that. Tell us about the difference in playing on the offensive line in the SEC like you did this year at Ole Miss compared to when you were at Washington in the Pac-12. Yeah, those guys want to Joe more. I'm, I'm proud of each one of, and every one of those guys. I love those guys to death. But I think the difference between the two conferences is really just body types and, and style, I think. I think you get a lot of more, you know, Wider bodies, bit bigger, longer arms, you know, in, in the SEC. And then the pack, you got more speed guys, more speed rushers, more guys that, that are sideline to sideline in the box, you know. Not your typical, like, downhill thumpers, you know, that you have in the SEC, like in the Bama, the Georgias, you know, teams like that. And so it, it's just different playing styles, different body types. That, that's all it is. It's not really more of a mentality or anything like that. It's just. It's just, but like those guys can bang too. But it's just in terms of like what they're bringing behind that, you know, more six-two up bodies versus you know two thirty plus linebackers, you know, like those those type of guys. 
So, so it's more about what you're facing on the defensive side than anything that's happening scheme-wise or mentality for guys that are actually on the offensive line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the schemes are, are, are a little bit different, you know. Like some, some guys bring different stuff. It, it might be more three-down teams or four-down teams. But in, in reality, it's just playing style and body types to me. That's that's the main like thing I've I seen out there this season. Visiting with Victor Kern, former offensive lineman for Ole Miss, had this one season uh, part of a, a special group for uh, for Ole Miss this past season that finished off the year with a win over Penn State in the uh, in the Peach Bowl. We'll get to the Ole Miss season that you just completed in a second, but talk to us about what you're doing right now. Uh, you've got some guys that are, are getting ready for the Combine right now, other guys without invites to the Combine who are getting ready for Pro Day which in a lot of ways serves the exact same purpose because you've got representatives from every NFL team coming to all these places. So as you get ready for your pro day, what's your focus right now? My focus is just trying to nail down the details, whether that be steps um, during the 40, during the the, the, 10, the 5, 10, 5, or just, or just nailing little, little things on my bench, you know, like how can I get a rhythm? How can I get my back, back and shoulders stronger, you know? Little things, little little technical things, you know, something that could be like real, you know, monotonous day to day. But like, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes March and my pro day, I'm, I'm gonna need those things for that for that one day job interview, you know. So it's 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 never getting tired of working those things. But I think right now, I think I got an advantage of just squaring off, squaring away on just one thing, you know. You know, you could look at it as I'm, I'm working on a pro day and not in the senior bowl or something like that, but. I'm just focused on just my pro day and how can I attack those drills that I'm I'm preparing for. All right, so Victor, give me best case scenario when you're when you're there in the weight room. You got all those guys around you. It's a high energy atmosphere. You're trying to do the best you can. How many reps at 225? What what's the number that makes you happy? Number that makes me happy anywhere between 25 to 30. I think I think for offensive linemen, that's what they're looking for. Okay. And that's what they, they that's what they trying to they trying to see anywhere from twenty five to thirty that's 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 the the reachable range and and I'll be man I'll be excited if I can get in between that range right there I'll be I'll be talking good money right there. That, does that feel like a reasonable goal for you? You think you can hit that twenty five mark? Oh yeah, for sure, okay. for sure. That's, that's that's what I'm reaching for. That's what I'm working working for every day or every week, really, week in and week out. I'm trying to trying to perfect that really. All right, everybody loves it when you see those offensive linemen. You know, they, they they strip down to the the tight shorts. They're not in the big, and, and they're getting ready to run that forty. You want to get as light as you can. What about goal in your forty time? And you know, sometimes I wonder how much that really matters for an offensive lineman. I, I guess it's about yeah, yeah. quickness as much as anything. But but what's your goal yeah. for the forty? <laughs> we we always joked about it at Washington. We call it the underwear Olympics. But uh, that's right. I think my. <laughs> I think my 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 goal is really like the ten yard split, just to have a, a great ten yard split. I think that's one thing that the the scouts and, and the, the personnel they they focus on is a ten yard split for offensive alignment. I think the forties is nice, you know, the four nines and all that is nice. But I think if I have a good good ten yard split and I and I'm and I'm up there in between that, I don't know one anything lower than a one seven, something like okay. that, one one eight. You know, anything lower than that, I think, is pretty, pretty, pretty solid right there, pretty reachable right there. So I think that you're talking good, good business right there when you're in that range. All right. Well, will you do a vertical jump? Oh yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm planning on doing everything at this point in time. I'm what's not barring my. What's your vertical going to be? 
avert. You know, I used to be a basketball guy. I used to kind of, kind of savvy that. <laughs> but I, it's been a couple hundred pounds since I didn't gain, since I didn't play some <laughs> basketball. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping to get anywhere between, try to get up to, to the 30. Try to get up wow. to 30. Try to, same thing with bench, I guess. Probably 25 to 30, you know, as a lineman, you try to get up in that range too. That's uh, that's big time athleticism. Hey, what's going to stand out, Victor, for you when you think back on this last season you had, uh, the year for Ole Miss, eleven wins, a Peach Bowl victory? What what's the game? What's the memory? What's the moment that's going to stand out for you? <clears throat> the game, for sure, hands down. I don't even got to think about it. The game would probably be LSU, but the moments is just like nobody knows how hard like the, like the guys came together for this season, and nobody knows. Like how much it meant to get that 11 win. I think like that. If, if anything, that's what I want people to know is that 11 win was everything to Kiffin, to Kiffin and those and the boys, and me myself. The whole line we took pride in and in uh, playing Penn State and trying to protect Dart and trying to trying to get a win for uh, for the Rebel fans. And so, like I don't think the fans know. I hope they know how important that win was for us and the program. And, and you can kind of feel it moving forward. You know. And that's led into what they got now. And so, but the season, I think I always remember how much fun I had. Like how it was never, it was never a time where I was down. And now it was always I feel like man, like I'm having a great time. I said like it was never a moment where I was like man, I didn't, I don't want to be here. Like you know, Victor, so I think really, that's, that's what I wanted. We really appreciate a few minutes of your time. Wish you nothing but the best. Here's to 25 to 30 reps and a 30-inch vertical and a sub-540 time and a great professional oh, yeah. career. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Victor Kern, part of that Ole Miss offensive line that helped lead the Rebels to an 11-win season, a school record for wins in a year. Victor joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Sports Talk Mississippi. Now. Now. This is Sports Talk Mississippi on a Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. We're Wednesday where we got no hoops to talk about for games that are coming up tonight because... Both Mississippi State and Ole Miss played last night in Oxford. Ole Miss getting the win over the Bulldogs in an instant classic. An incredible basketball game that saw Ole Miss ultimately get the W86-82. That was the final score in the ballgame. Ceasefire text line, Dan in Hattiesburg says, how much do they have to pay the guy that has to go get the guy that freaked out at 1,500 feet? Talking about climbing the uh, towers still. Um we got a message that said, I'm good friends with Houston McDavid's son who flies drones to check the towers. I didn't realize that, but that seems like a much safer option. It does. Um, Do you see a guy flew a drone into the uh, AFC Championship game that caused a, what did they call it, an administrative timeout? Uh, I think that's what they called it. Nance was like, you've probably never heard that phrase before, but it's because somebody flew a drone too close to the field. It wasn't ours, but that's what that was. I thought it was interesting. 
How much sway would there be on a tower 2,000 feet into the air? That's from Bruce. He says, when I was a kid, I had a friend who had a twin pine tree in their backyard, two trunks out of one stump. I climbed to the top of that using both trees for support, and when I got to the top, I was swaying as much as five to six feet back and forth, and I was probably no more than 40 feet into the air. Uh, I mean, there has to be sway in those towers. There's no doubt. But they're also built for that. Now, that doesn't make it any less scary if you're 1,000 feet or 1,500 feet or 2,000 feet into the air and it starts swaying back and forth. But that is a tall tower. A 2,000-foot tower? I guess that's real. Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. They've got... Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's those people on on TikTok and stuff that will free climb... Those kind of things. And those people are all morons, but yeah. I mean, the tallest building in the world is uh, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai at 2,717 towers. Uh, I'm sorry, 2,717 feet. Uh, One World Trade Center in New York, it's about 1,000 feet shorter. So when when you talk about a 2,000-foot television tower you're talking climbing taller than one world trade center in new york just just talking about this just just not even seeing it and is making me have a twinge all right i don't i don't like it little I'm uncomfortable getting the, getting the willies getting the willies the heebie-jeebies just uh just talking about it and this all started, hey, Dad, because you brought up bald eagles. I saw a bald eagle, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and jo- I... John points out that the Eiffel Tower is 984 feet. It's one of those Two Eiffel Towers. Like, I not that tall. It's not that tall, but it's still really tall. Yeah. I mean, 984 feet is a long way up. I mean, I've been on what was at the time the tallest and fastest roller coaster in the world called the Top Thrill Dragster. It's 420 feet. When you get to the top, I mean, it just it literally feels like you're on top of the world. Only 420 feet. So the arch in St. Louis is 630 feet. I don't know if you guys have ever been up in the arch. I, I didn't want. I heard the elevator was. This was you know last year when I went was like the start of the weight loss was like that was that trip and. Uh, I heard the elevator was tight, so I was like, I'm not going to go. Well, boy, it, it's not a traditional elevator. Like, you yeah, get into, it's... like, this little capsule that has small mm. seats in it, yeah, and, no. it's, and it's like not a, interested. A, a train, and it takes multiple cars up to the top. It's been a long time, but, I mean, you're looking way down into Bush Stadium from the arch. I mean, way down into it. Not interested. Borky, you're a coaster guy. Oh yeah, love him absolutely. I mean, when my when my my wife already thinks you're handsome, and now she's going to find this out about you, I'm I'm in trouble. Jen and I can go to Cedar Point and and ooh, did 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 not with the Jen. Don't call her that. Oh, that's not no 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 sir. Maybe she'll make an exception for me, especially when I give her uh, uh, all day not. pass to I can... Cedar Point. <laughs> now, if you do that, she might. She might, but. Mike says there are not but 15 2,000-foot towers in the United States. Okay. Jeez. But they do exist. I'm not going to go stand on the top of any of them. Yeah. I hear you. 
I, I think if I remember correctly, like when you go to Destin, you know, like the track in Destin where they've got the bungee jumping and have you guys ever bungee jumped? I'm guessing, hey, Dad, the you answer think? is no. What do, you, what do you think the answer to the question is? Yeah. Borky, have you ever bungee jumped before? No, and I don't know if I will. So I have, um, and I think it's only 40 feet. I, I, I think that's the height of the tower. Maybe it's a little bit taller than that, but I think that's the one in, in Destin's like a 40-foot. And it's it's something. It's um, I would. There's part of me that says I would really like to bungee jump off of a bridge. You know, you, you see that from time to time, like the big bridge over the canyon with water down below. I don't know, though, man. That's uh, Maybe that was younger me. Anyway. <laughs> so I said earlier today that the uh, foundation of college sports is crumbling. We Let me read you the... Get to right. this tomorrow. We're only going to give this three minutes. Great. Yeah, no, no, let's get it all in right now and get it all out of our system. So Ross Dellinger writes this at, at Yahoo. It's a weird time in college athletics, perhaps the weirdest ever. Let's count the ways, shall we? In December, the NCAA president himself proposed a plan that, if adopted this summer, would permit schools to directly strike name, image, and likeness deals with athletes as well as pay them through a trust fund. Within the next 18 to 24 months, depending on whom you trust, schools will pay athletes' salaries as their employees or share revenue with them as their partners in a billion-dollar industry. And yet... Over the last three weeks, reports have emerged that the NCAA, one, is investigating Tennessee and Florida over violations related to NIL deals, and two, levied major sanctions on Florida State over violations related to NIL deals. Confused? You're not alone. Even those at the NCAA are aware of the confounding situation in which college sports reside. So that's just kind of a starting point. And again, we don't have time to like really dive into this today. But you you look at Ross Dellinger's timeline on Twitter, and he points out the lawsuits that are currently pending against the NCAA with a reminder, if you will, that the NCAA is made up of its members. It's it's insane. The NCAA is currently fighting at least half a dozen legal challenges that would cost $3 billion in retroactive NIL, Austin, and TV revenue, make athletes employees, permit athletes to unionize, permit athletes to transfer unlimited times, and permit athletes to sign NIL deals as recruits. And the most recent wrinkle to this after the news yesterday that Tennessee is being investigated by the NCAA, is that attorneys general from the state of Tennessee and the Commonwealth of Virginia are suing the NCAA. They filed a legal complaint in which they say the NCAA has, quote, entered into an illegal, horizontal group boycott of prospective college athletes. And, oh, by the way, you remember yesterday when asked for comment, the NCAA said we don't comment on individual cases except in special circumstances. You know what they did today? They released a comment. 
<laughs> and it was they contradictory. They cannot stop making hypocritical things happen. They literally just cannot just say, this is what it is forever. It's always, we're not going to do this, but we will do this. Here, here, here was. This was the statement today from the NCAA. After yesterday saying, we don't really comment. Today they said, while the NCAA generally does not comment on specific infractions cases, it is important to remember that NCAA member schools and conferences not only make the rules, but routinely call for greater enforcement of those rules and holding violators accountable. In recent years, this has been especially true as it relates to establishing and enforcing a consistent set of national rules intended to manage name, image, and likeness. This legal action would exacerbate what our members themselves have frequently described as a Wild West atmosphere, further tilting competitive imbalance among schools in neighboring states and diminishing blah, 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 blah. Our membership has steadfastly supported the prohibition on impermissible recruiting contacts, booster involvement in recruiting prospects, and the use of NIL offers as recruiting inducements. I thought Josh Pate had a good example on his podcast where he said, if you were a building contractor who was operating off a set of plans and you ordered everything for the building and you came and you started the project and you came back the next day and there was a different set of plans, you would do the best you could. And then the next day there was another set of plans and you did the best you could. And you finally finished the building and then the building inspector came and said, no, this is wrong. You have to fix it. And you're like, what do you want me to do? I'm operating off the guidelines we had at the time. It's time to get real. Real sports talk for Mississippi. It's time for you to get real with it. Sports talk Mississippi continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us. We'll go back to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. From ESPN, the SEC Networks, the College Football Analysts, and Sirius XM, and the mortgage offices of Chris Doring, all of those things. Chris Doring joins us from Mobile and, uh, and the Senior Bowl. What's the scene like in Mobile this week, Mr. Doring? What's up, Richard? Good to be on with you, man. Thanks for having me. I am, uh, I'm standing right now in the, uh, Mobile Convention Center. Uh, it's been a long day today. We've had both the American and national team practices, had media, uh, day here, availability with all the players. So got a chance to, to talk to a lot of those guys that, uh, are, are being, uh, put on stage to kind of audition this week. And, and now, uh, I did finish the three hour show. I'm about to go on for another three hour show on Sirius XM, uh, NFL channel. And, uh, man, it's a, it's a, it's a, a whirlwind week here. You know, you, you, you talk about the players and what they're being put through, but from, uh, the media member standpoint, what we're covering. And then, you know, we gotta be, you, know, you gotta do the networking part of the nightlife here too, which is, uh, an interesting <laughs> part of senior bowl week. So it's, uh, not a whole lot of rest to be had for the players, the, the coaches, the people putting on the event or for us as media members. Well, I appreciate you spending just a few minutes with us. I know it's been a busy day and a busy week. Is this is it overstating it to call this week life changing for yeah. some of the guys that are invited to participate in this game? Not overstating that at all. You know, I, I put myself back in 
in this position as a player, like I had no idea what to expect. I came out of, of Florida. We played the national championship game. Kind of didn't have much time before heading to the East-West Shrine game in California and then flew directly from there to here. And, man, the, the intensity of every single rep during practice, the, the, the micro the microscope that you're under as you're, you know, going through the, the practices, as you're, you know, walking, you know, from, from meeting room to the, to the locker room. Like, everything you do this week as a player is, is being examined and you're being put in, in uncomfortable positions. You're trying to learn a new offense. You're trying to, to, to develop a rapport with, New quarterbacks or receivers or offensive linemen. It's just so much going on. Uh, but this is a, a week where, you know, the, the, the level of talent that you're going up against, you know, ratchets up. And, and certainly it'll do that as you get to the NFL too. But it's a little different dynamic for guys that, you know, maybe play in the Big Ten or the SEC that get a chance to come here versus some of the smaller schools. And I think that's one of the things that Jim Nagy and his staff do such a great job of are finding the little diamonds in the rough that may you know, come come here and, and have an opportunity to show that they are legit and they're not just you know productive players against uh, lower level competition, but they can do it against the best. So I, I think it is certainly a, a life changing opportunity here, but I think it's uh, it's just one step in many. And, and the uh, the mantra here at the Senior Bowl is, is the NFL draft starts in Mobile, and it certainly does. They'll get ready to uh, move on to the combine after this, and and some other evaluations will take place, but. It's a uh, it's a lot of pressure that these guys are going through, and just remembering back to my own experience, I wish I would know know then what I knew now, and and how differently I would have handled this experience. I know you're an offensive guy. I know you spend time looking at quarterbacks and and looking at some of the wide receivers that are there, but you know, so much of the SEC is a line of scrimmage league, and I'm curious mm-hmm. if if either of the guy, any of the guys from Mississippi State or, or Ole Miss that are there have done anything to stand out, or you've heard any scouts talking about a, a Jaden Cromedy from Mississippi State, a, a Cedric Johnson from Ole Miss, uh, a Buki Watson from, from Mississippi State who just had so many tackles as, as a linebacker. Any of those guys flashing at all? I'd be, I'd be lying to you, R.C., if I told you you know that I paid a ton, a ton of attention to that. That's fair. My eyes are drawn a little bit more to the, uh, the receivers and the defensive backs. I've spent a lot of time. Looking at those guys, but um, you know, I, I do think one of the most uh, intriguing parts of practice during Senior Bowl is when you get a little one-on-one pass rush, when you get some of those tackles versus the the edge rushers, when you get some of the the interior defensive linemen against the the, the guards and centers, and and um, you know, in, in full disclosure, today because of the the way that the schedule fell, I only got a chance to be out at practice for a little bit, so I didn't get a chance to see yeah. a ton of it, but. I promise you I'll take a look at that tomorrow, and I will report back to you with a, uh, a progress report for those two guys. Well, we'll, uh, well, we won't hold you to that if it uh, ends up not happening. I'll shoot happening. you text, man. I'll shoot you a video or something. I, I won't forget about you. you. You know we love the quarterback position, though, and there are yeah. some absolute stars at that position. you got Sam Hartman there. you got Bo Nix there. you got Michael Penix Jr. there, and that's just on one side. And then on the other side, you've got – uh, Carter Bradley from South Alabama, Joe Milton, who's so intriguing from Tennessee, Michael Pratt, Spencer Rattler. Any of these quarterbacks that you think are really helping themselves this week? Yeah, you know, we actually had Sam Hartman on a few minutes ago, and uh, he was a little frustrated with the way that he's performed. Um, you know, being on that team with, with uh, Knicks and, and Penix, you know, certainly all eyes are on, on that group, but he was very complimentary of, of, uh, how collaborative that whole quarterback room has been and, 
and positive, even though they're competing kind of against one another. Uh, what a, a, a great uh, camaraderie that they've created in that room. So it's been cool to talk to them. Spencer Rattler had a really good um, practice uh, today. He and, he and Xavier Leggett hooked up, uh, obviously, a, a comfortable combination dating back to their days at, at South Carolina. Uh, so it, it, it's interesting to me kind of how who, who some of the, 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 the quarterbacks immediately feel a connection with. I can tell you this. Uh, my guy, Ricky Pearsall, has been uncoverable for one of the teams, wow. and, and uh, Lad McConkey, uh on the other team has been, you know, amongst the, the best. Roman Wilson from Michigan has been really good as well. But it, it's funny just to see how quickly the hierarchy develops. You know, who, who's the, the, the go-to uh, receivers for these quarterbacks and, and who are the, the most challenging defensive backs? And, and these, uh, these guys develop quite a rivalry. It gets pretty intense out there on the practice field. Chris, talk to me a little bit about Bo Nix. I mean, we, we saw him for three years at Auburn, and it was a mixed bag. And maybe it wasn't the right system. Maybe the pressure was too much. But he goes to Oregon, and it's like he turns into a different player. The The yeah. athletic skill set is there. There's plenty of arm talent there. What kind of a future does he have at the next level? Man, I'm, I'm very excited for him and, and – um... You know how apropos it is for him to return to the state of of Alabama, where yeah, he grew up, job, where his dad made such a name for himself, and his his college career began. Everybody thought it was going to be a perfect fit there at Auburn, and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. You mentioned a couple of the the, the possible reasons why, but you know th- this is the argument for why the transfer portal is good. I know a lot of fans dislike the the idea of of, uh, of guys moving around, but. Yeah, think about what we've talked about here. Uh, those three quarterbacks, Sam Harmon, leaves Wake Forest and has a, a great experience as a senior at, at, at Notre Dame. Michael Penix Jr. gets a chance to play for a national championship and, and make himself into a Heisman Trophy finalist. The same for, for Bo Nix and, and what he got a chance to, to do there in, in Oregon. And, and so you know, maybe the offense is a little better fit for him. I know there's some questions about you know his ability to push the ball down the field. I think he's answered a lot of those this week. But, you know, I, 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 I've I've been very happy that um, you know, Bo Nix has had the opportunity that he's had because I, I just think it was such a difficult you know, bar to live up to having his dad had so much uh, success at Auburn and, and um, you know, kind of following his footsteps and being a five-star guy. Just I don't know that anybody could have lived up to the hype. So just to, to get away, to go to the other opposite end of the country and, and uh, get a fresh start really benefited him. And I think it revitalized his love of the, the game of football, too. I want to spin this forward, if we can, just just for a second. We've got two minutes left with Chris Doring, college football analyst with ESPN and the SEC Network, Sirius XM, Satellite Radio as well. When you think about quarterback play next year in the SEC, we got bona fide stars in the league. you got Carson Beck at Georgia. you got Quinn Ewers at Texas. you got Jackson Dart at Ole Miss, Jalen Milrow coming back, Braden uh, Cook at, at Missouri, and a bunch of guys that we haven't seen yet as well. Who's the guy that you're most excited about watching develop or continue to, to develop next year in the SEC? Hey, I think you'll agree with me on this, Richard, man. I, I, you go back and list the potential starting quarterbacks in the SEC last year, and uh, you, you, you rank those guys. I think most people probably had Graham Mertz in the bottom third of the league. I know some people had yes. him at, at, you know, 13th or 14th, um, he was one of the real surprises. Then another guy that benefited from putting his name in the transfer portal. I don't know him biased as a former Florida guy, but so excited to hear him you know, make the announcement he was coming back for another year. 
I know that's a, a great centerpiece for Billy Napier to be able to kind of build around. Uh, so he, he's one that I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about. And, uh, you mentioned Quinn Ewers, you know, coming over from, uh, from, from Texas with, uh, Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC, a chance to, to get to see him up close and personal. Maybe his best game as a collegiate player happened against an, uh, a, a SEC team last year in Tuscaloosa. So, uh, that, those are two that kind of stand out. I mean, I'll be a little bit of a homer here for your, your, your guy there in, in Oxford. <laughs> um, Jackson Dart, you know, I think just the amount of improvement that he made, you and I went and did the, the spring game together uh, last April, and just listening to the coaches rave about how much better he got with his footwork and how much better he got throwing the ball down the field, his accuracy, you know, just really felt um, like they were poised to have a breakout year, which they did, winning 11 games for the first time. I know there's uh, an influx of new talent there, but I, I think the core of those guys being back together, led by Jackson Dart, has me really optimistic about the Rebs' chances in, in 2024. CD, really appreciate your time. Next time we talk, I want us to talk wide receivers. I know that's your wheelhouse. There's some dudes here in Mississippi, not just at Ole Miss, but at Mississippi State with these new guys coming in. Can't wait to do that in the future. Have a great rest of the week in Mobile. Thank you, brother. I'll be down there for double-decker if I don't make it for the spring game. Looking forward to catching up. For number one for sports talk. Anyone? 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 Come on, don't be shy. Sports talk, Mississippi. Bingo, man, bingo. Super talk, Mississippi. We have covered some ground on this edition of Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks to Chris Doring for reminding you at the very end that Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you in part by Visit Oxford. Said he's coming to town for a double-decker if he's not in town for the spring game. Visit OxfordMS.com. Got the release of the Double-Decker Arts Festival music lineup that was uh, – we brought that to you yesterday. We'll continue to tell you more about that for you to keep up with everything uh, that is happening in and around Oxford, go to DoubleDeckerFestival.com or visit OxfordMS.com. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. One last time with you on this Wednesday afternoon. SEC basketball has begun, and Alabama has not yet shown up. With ten and a half minutes to go in the first half, Georgia leads Alabama 17-4. to in Athens. Yeah. Coming up at uh, 7 o'clock tonight on ESPN, Florida is at Kentucky. 7.30 tonight on the SEC Network, Arkansas is at Missouri. And 8 o'clock tonight on ESPN2, Vanderbilt is at Auburn. So those are the four games that are happening tonight. Yes. We gave uh, we gave you some credit for your fishy line, but you also were correct that we continue to fade Borky on his NBA picks. The Lakers got humiliated by the Hawks last night. Oh, fade did LeBron Borky. play? He did. Yeah, because the Lakers <laughs> suck. Killed. They are not good. They are not good. And they're going to run off a coach. Yes. You uh, you remember. What was the? Uh, it wasn't NBA 2K. It was whatever the early NBA game was. He made a shot. He's NBA heating line. up. Yeah. He's on fire. NBA Jam. NBA Jam. NBA Jams. Yeah. So I read so, something. So Borky's heating up in terms of hashtag fade Borky. Heck yeah. 
Uh, How you doing? Read something really interesting uh, earlier today about teams at the deadline. Teams like the Lakers, who uh, were supposed to be better, but they're not, and so they're looking to make a deal at the deadline. And so often, I mean, it's a trend that teams will trade for guys that beat them right before the deadline. Like John Tay Murray, last night. Yeah. Played really, really well last night. And over the history of the league, teams have traded for a guy that beats them and plays all well right before the deadline. And it, it, like, the return on that investment is almost always poor. That they, these teams get inspired by one performance, so they'll go trade for that guy, and he's not the right fit. They get obsessed with what they recently saw, and they'll go get him, and it doesn't work out. It was so fascinating. I wish, wish they had played the Bucks. <laughs> I mean, Giannis, come on down. I want New Orleans to trade for Jonte Murray myself, but you know. Giannis and, and Dame, let's figure it out. Uh, this is Wednesday, and on Wednesdays at the conclusion of Sports Talk Mississippi, we have news. You can hear the news when we uh, finish up. Uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow afternoon. Oh, after the news, thunder and lightning on the radio, hosted by Brian Haydad. Um, yes. He will brought I'm to you assuming, by our friends at Visit Vicksburg. Visit Vicksburg. That's right. That sounds like some home cooking to me. Well, that's the best kind of home cooking. I'm excited. So, and we got a good show lined up. We got a guest tonight, Richard. Okay. We got Mississippi State pitching coach Justin Parker joining the show for the first time. That'll be great. That'll be great. So some uh, baseball. That's a guy who has a, guy who has a, a job on, as they say. He, uh, he's got some work to do coming up this uh, season. So yeah. some baseball conversation coming up on Thunder and Lightning. I'm assuming some basketball conversation as well uh, on the mm-hmm. heels of last night's game, but also what's coming up. Mississippi State, next opponent, they head to Tuscaloosa on Saturday to take on an Alabama team that is currently down 13 in the first half to Georgia on the road in Athens. So uh, all of that on the horizon this evening. Don't forget if you're in the market for a new Ford F-150 or an Explorer or an Expedition or a Bronco, Belk Ford on Highway 6 in Oxford is the place for you. Great selection on the lot, best financing available, family company. They're going to treat you the way you want to be treated. The truth of the matter is, most people don't love going through the car buying experience. It's a significant investment. Sometimes it feels like there's some stress. Some people love it, love to go get a new vehicle, not intimidated by the process at all. But if you are a little intimidated by the car buying process, just know that you're dealing with good, honest people at Belk Ford and at Oxford at Toyota. They're going to help you figure out the vehicle that is best for you, that fits your budget, that accomplishes the goals that you have, that looks the way you want, that feels the way you want, that has the smell that you want when you get in it with that new car smell, they're going to take care of you at Belk Ford and Oxford Toyota. Highway 6 West in Oxford, when you stop by and see them, tell them that you heard about them on Sports Talk Mississippi, please. We would uh, appreciate it very much if you would do that. Um, Thursday, who knows what's coming? A gaggle of... Grouper, geese, or geese, and 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 who knows? Who knows what wildlife I will see tomorrow? So if I see it, I'll bring it to the show. Uh, What we promise you is that we will be back with you tomorrow, just after three o'clock, in all of these same places. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Have a great Wednesday night.
Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services A Super Talk Mississippi media production.